Well, today we start a three-part series on the book of Joshua, which will coincide with the after-service classes. You're encouraged to read the readings, and there's actually some questions in the bulletin that you might want to also look at when you're doing the readings. And you're encouraged to read those things multiple times if you can, as it will help prepare you both for the message and for the after-service class. Today's reading was from Joshua chapters 1 to 8. And it's a good one. And this isn't to, to say that the other parts of Joshua or even other parts of the Bible are not good, but, but this, these eight chapters, they are action-packed, and they include some of the best-known stories in the entire Bible. Two of them in particular really stand out. The first is the crossing of the Jordan River, which has so many powerful messages attached to it that it would have been easy to park there for the morning. I mean, we see the water parting during its flood stage, which transformed the Jordan River from just this little river into an impassable body of water. And the people of Israel are passing through it, this time not on an exodus from Egypt or out of slavery, but this time entering into blessing and, and the promised land. The historical connections, the symbolism, the power of that story are, are worthy of lots of further reflection. So is the second major story that are in our eight chapters, the whole story of the conquest of Jericho with the ark leading the people of marching around Jericho and the walls falling down at the blowing of trumpets and the Jericho account also includes that wonderful story of Rahab mixed right in there. But we are not going to be looking at, at those stories today, though, though I strongly encourage you to read them again and, and meditate on them. Our text falls right between these two mighty works of God, the parting of the Jordan River and the conquest of Jericho. Between these two stories three very significant things occur that don't really jump out as much as stopping the flowing of a river or walls falling down at trumpets and shouts. At least, it didn't jump out to me as much. And until I did what I'm encouraging you to do, which I read the text multiple times. Perhaps I was distracted by the miracles. Perhaps I'm just a little slower than most. But... But I didn't really hear these things until about my third time through, and then I could not help but hear them. These three things will be the subject of our message today. Before we read the text, um, I'd like to just ask the Lord's uh, guidance as we proceed. Father, as we look into your scripture... We ask that you would reveal to us what you would have us know and hear, and that you will use it for your glory and the building up of your church. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our text picks up after Israel has passed through the Jordan River on dry ground, on the command of God, a representative from each of the 12 tribes had picked up a stone from the center of the river and hauled it to the other side where they would be spending the, their first night in the promised land. 
Immediately after our text, I'm just trying to set the setting for our text, Joshua encounters the messenger of the Lord, which was a reminder to Joshua that God was going to fight the battle and go before them. The messenger of the Lord or uh, commander of the Lord's army or angel, whatever translation, likely was the one who told Joshua how Jericho was going to fall, which is exactly what happened. And the three things that occur that you're going to hear as I read the text that occur between these two mighty works of God are they set up the memorial stones, they circumcise the nation, and they celebrate the Passover. Now hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 15 of chapter 4. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the water of the Jordan returned to their places and overflowed all of its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you, to, for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. And so all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever." And as soon as the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeth Harloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war who had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come up out of Egypt, though all the people who came up out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born in the, on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their places that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. 
While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased that day, and they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Thus ends the reading of the Lord. Well, first of all, there is the memorial. The stones that were used to build this memorial came from the center of the river that they had just walked across on dry land. And saying that they built the memorial is actually a little bit of an overstatement. It was fundamentally a pile of 12 unaltered river stones, albeit large stones, but only as large as a man could carry on his shoulders. It was a pile. And this pile of 12 stones that the leaders of Israel had carried from the center of the riverbed was to last for generations, to serve as a reminder, a memorial. And here the text related to that. The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, where he dried up for us until we passed over, so that... All the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The pile was a reminder of what God had done and who he was. I cannot really read this story without thinking back to what I learned about many of the sacred sites I observed in India when I was there. The starting point of these sacred sites, at least for many of them, was like this memorial. For instance, a person almost dies in an accident on a street corner and believes that it was Shiva or Krishna or one of the many false gods of Hinduism that saved them. As a memorial, they put up a little idol of the god with an offering, perhaps right there on the street corner. Someone else walks past and decides that he will ask that God for a favor and adds a stone and a gift. Someone else walks past and sees that idol and shine or shrine and, and does not want to risk offending that God, so they toss down a 10-rupee note. And so it goes, and it grows, and it grows, and some become massive temples, and they're everywhere. They become a source of fear of their awful gods, that if they neglect them, they might get zapped, or they become some kind of spiritual favors vending machines. The truth is, though, that after almost the first offering, no one knows why it started or what the reason it was there in the first place. That is not at all what happened with these stones at Gilgal. The reason and the message of the memorial was the point of the memorial. It didn't grow into something else or have offerings put in front of it. It was a pile. But it was supposed to provoke questions. And the people asking or answering the questions would speak of Yahweh, who he is and what he has done. The point was, the first thing God told Israel to do 
after they entered the promised land, at the direct command of God, was to erect this memorial to make sure that they and their children would never forget what God had done and who he was and who it is that they served and who would lead them on from there. The next thing that happened was this whole issue of the circumcising of the nation. There's a lot of discussion about this in the commentaries, particularly related to the question of why weren't they circumcised in the wilderness? The answers range all over the place. One of the first and probably one prominent explanations is, is that it was unsafe or, or dangerous to do the circumcisions while they were on the journey since they were always on the move, or this is their reasoning, since they were always on the move or they had to be ready to move at a moment's notice. Not only does that not really match reality, since Israel was stationary in the wilderness for long periods of time, it also isn't true that it wasn't safe to do circumcisions if they had to move at the drop of a hat or the moving of a, of a pillar of clouds or fire. The, for instance, the eight-day-old baby who was circumcised might be crying, but it really wouldn't have much impact on his travel accommodations. What, what was, however, very dangerous was traveling into hostile territory and then with a raging, flooding river behind you and an enemy that wants to destroy you in front of you to circumcise the whole nation and have to wait to heal, which for adults was a very different situation than for a baby. In fact, it made them totally vulnerable to attack. You might recall the story of Levi and Simeon and, and Shechem. Uh, after Shechem, that was his name, raped their sister Dinah uh, on the assurance of her brothers that if those people of the city of Shechem got circumcised, that would lead to peace with the Israelites. Shechem and the men of the city agreed to be circumcised. However, while they were healing, and the point was unable to fight, her brothers, Levi and Simeon, showed up and killed them all. You were vulnerable. While the reason that it was dangerous to be circumcised while traveling is not really a, a, a good explanation why they were not circumcised in the wilderness, it does really accent the issue that it was dangerous for Israel to be circumcised when they were. In fact, doing so required them to trust the Lord to be their protector, even when they were extremely vulnerable due to the consequences of doing what was right after years and years of disobedience. Other ideas about why they were not circumcised while in the wilderness for 40 years are that they stopped being circumcised as a consequence of God's punishment for the golden calf which doesn't really match anything theologically or historically. Another idea is that, and this is most likely the case, they were simply being rebellious or neglectful. That explanation matches who these people were and the repeated testimony of the scriptures. We also might want to note that their leader, Moses, uh, also didn't have a very good track record related to obeying the law regarding circumcision. If you recall, he had failed to circumcise his own sons, 
even after God appeared to him in a burning bush and spoke to him and told him to go back and lead Israel out of slavery. Moses still didn't circumcise his sons. Moses was almost killed by God for this failure. And when and were it not for his wife, he, he would have been toast. Still, the truth is, why they were not circumcised in the wilderness will not be known. Maybe when we get to glory, we can ask if we, if we care. What is known, though, is that they were not circumcised in the wilderness. Sometimes the plain text is all we really need to know. And, and that had to change. The people of Israel needed to be reminded of the covenant God had made with them. Just as before, Moses was going, before God was going to use Moses to deliver his people, Moses needed to be reminded of the covenant that was underneath all of the doings that God was calling him to do. So did the people of Israel need to be reminded. Circumcision was the sign of that covenant, a covenant that God made and Israel benefited from, not because of who Israel was, but because of who God was and what God was going to do to and through them. God was going to bless the world through the descendants of Abraham who were marked with this sign of God's covenant. And through this covenant with the nation of Israel and ultimately through the ultimate seed of Abraham, Christ himself, God would provide for salvation for those who would turn to him. Circumcision was the physical reminder of who they were, of who God was, and of his covenant. It was vital for them to know this, to remember this, and no longer neglect it. There was uh, another significant thing about circumcision. They, uh, the Israelites, nobody was supposed to celebrate the Passover if they weren't circumcised. This is very clear in Exodus chapter 12. Before they could celebrate their deliverance from slavery, the Passover and how God spared their life by the blood on the doorposts, they needed to know, even on their own bodies, that they were God's people because of a covenant God made with them. Not because of anything they did, or because they deserved anything, but entirely because God chose to bless them and use them for his purposes. They were marked with a sign that reminded them of God's covenant with them. And because of that covenant, God delivered them from slavery, which is what they celebrated at Passover. The ticket to take part in that celebration was the sign of that covenant, circumcision. Which brings us to the, the next thing that happened between the mighty works of God and the parting of the Jordan and the fall of Jericho. They celebrated the Passover. Four days after coming across the Jordan, barely done or still in the process of healing from being circumcised, they celebrated the Passover. Some commentators argue that the Jews celebrated the Passover annually while they were in the wilderness because, after all, they were Jews and they were commanded to celebrate it. They also point out that there is a record of one celebration of it, which happened at Mount Sinai within the first year of the 
after the Exodus. The silence on the celebration during the rest of the wilderness accounts, we don't hear of one more time in the scriptures. In their opinion, isn't proof it didn't happen. These commentators uh, seem to be trying to make the Jews sound obedient when that absolutely is not the testimony or portrayal of the, the Hebrew people in the scriptures. Others say they didn't celebrate the Passover in the wilderness. And, and one of the main reasons was no one was to celebrate the Passover if they weren't circumcised. And as we just learned, they were not circumcised, which would have made celebrating the Passover awkward at best. All we know, again, the simple statement of the, the scriptures, all we really know is that whether they did or didn't celebrate the Passover during their time in the wilderness, once the Israelites crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, after setting up a memorial reminding them of who God is and what he has done, after being circumcised, reminding them of the covenant that God had made with them, they celebrate the Passover correctly, having been circumcised and with unleavened bread as prescribed by God. And then God does another miracle with the conquest of Jericho. So, the question, how does this all relate to us? Well, first of all, we need to remember. All three of these things focused on remembering. It is so easy for us to focus on what is ahead, as if our power and strength are somehow out there in front of us, that our dreams and goals control our future and provide hope, and that out there should be what motivates us and provides us with meaning. Brothers and sisters, this is not the testimony of the scriptures or the direction of the scriptures. In fact, it's the opposite. We do not and should not find our motivation to go forward in a, based on a goal or a dream or hope for the future. Our motivation, our grounding, our peace is based on remembering. On remembering who God is and what he has done. For one thing, these things are real. They've happened. Dreams and goals may not happen. God's faithfulness, God's provision has happened over and over and over again. By looking at those things and remembering, as the Israelites were supposed to, related to the memorial stones, related to circumcision, related to the Passover, we can find rest and know with certainty that our future is not ultimately in our hands, thank goodness, but in the hands of the one who can part a river, who can cause walls to fall down with trumpets, who made the heavens and the earth, who made you, who is God Almighty, who loves you so much that he, died, that he died for you. He 
and who he is and what he has done is our foundation. And the way for us to stay grounded and to have the confidence to go forward into anything is to remember who God is and what he has done. The second thing is we need to deal with what we need to deal with before God. In fact, it may even be necessary before God will use us or or take us further into the promised land and experience further blessing. For Israel, this was getting circumcised, obeying the Lord, doing something they had neglected far too long. For you, that may be stopping a habit. It may be starting a habit. It may be letting go of something or simply doing something that you've been holding off on doing for too long for whatever reason. For Israel, it was circumcision. And and here's the deal. It could be dangerous. If you've neglected it for too long, well, when you finally do, you may become very vulnerable like the Israelites were after they, their belated obedience made them helpless before their enemies. The same might be true for you, but God, but God. That is the point why the memorial was first. Even in their vulnerability, they needed to remember God and who he is and what he has done And that he is their protector and he's our protector. When they did that, it gave them the confidence to obey, even when it put them at risk. That is what we need to do as well. And the third way this really applies to us is that we need to celebrate the Lord's deliverance from slavery. Not the slavery of Egypt or wokeism or life's challenges, but slavery to sin and death. We need to celebrate that we have been delivered, not by the blood of the lamb on the doorframe that prevented the angel of death from killing us, Passover, but by the blood of the true lamb of God, Christ Jesus, that cleanses us and protects us and gives us new life. We need to celebrate that. And not just once, but over and over. So our takeaways are that we need to remember who God is and what he's done. And we need to do what we need to do to get rid of obstacles that are holding us back or possibly preventing further blessing. And we need to celebrate that we are free from sin and death and we have life because of Jesus. And the next thing that will happen, just as it did with Israel, is that God will lead you through to his next mighty work. For Joshua and Israel, it was the conquest of Jericho. For us, it will be, well, God knows. 
We just need to remember that it is he who will lead us. That was the point of the messenger of God who met with Joshua and told Joshua what was going to happen at Jericho that did happen. We have a better messenger. We need to listen to our messenger, God himself, the Holy Spirit, who has chosen to dwell in us and who will never, by the way, ever be inconsistent with his word. And then we simply need to do what he says and go forward and walls will fall down. Let's pray. Father, help us to always remember you. And your faithfulness. And your covenant with us. And your blessing in Christ Jesus. And help us to celebrate that for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.